Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings. Welcome to episode 18. It's the Believe Knicks podcast. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by Stacy Patton. Stacy, a tough day for you. Um, tough day for your Michigan Wolverines. Um, we won't delve into it too much, but as of right now, do you think your team will make the NCAA tournament? At the moment, yeah, but they're yeah. probably going to have to go to the play-in. They might not. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, this has just been a crazy season. Banked in threes, just crazy. <laughs> I should have been. Michigan blew a seventeen-point lead with ten minutes left. Uh, I should have been used to that, you know, because um, they did that to another team. So I, I'm a fan of the Knicks. I don't know if you knew that, but <laughs> I, I don't know if you've heard, but the Knicks have done that a few times, once or um, twice, just just a, just a few times. So should have been used to that, but it gets you a new every time. So um, you know, I, I sometimes wonder. What the point of being a fan is because of shit like this. So. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, really, you could lay the blame for your Michigan feelings at the feet of the Knicks because the Knicks so recently have been building up big leads and winning that I think they probably misled you into thinking that Michigan was in the same position. This is really the Knicks' fault. Well, um, it's like it's like when you see your team get a twenty-point lead. It's generally like the base rate for that. Base rates are basically if you look at the global population and of everything that's ever happened like that, how often does the thing you want to happen happen? The mm-hmm. thing I want to happen happens pretty often. Um, and the Knicks messed with that base rate and then kind of corrected a little bit. And Michigan was like, nah. And the new <laughs> base rate is that if the team you're rooting for is up by 20 points, they're probably going to lose. And if the team you're rooting for is down by 20 points, they're probably, your, your, your team is going to lose. That's the mm-hmm. base rate. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of fun watching watching basketball. <laughs> well, St. John's uh, lost today by a point to Villanova after leading <coughs> for most of the game. I, 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 I've lived in Queens for most of my time in New York, but I, I have to say that's a good thing for me because that helps Michigan. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I do want St. John's to be good separately from that in general. But That's been St. John's season now for I don't know how many seasons. They... they they play a little bit above themselves. They will win some games that they shouldn't. But whenever, like I knew all, I knew all game, no matter how much they were up, like that was going to happen the way that it did. But you just, you know, you let yourself believe. So, is the biggest tournament at the Garden this year? I believe that. Wait, yeah. no, because now the ACC is there, aren't they? Um, is it the ACC now in Madison Square Garden? Uh, Wait a minute, why am I thinking that? Why am I thinking the ACC is in... Maybe they have a preseason tournament. I mean, when I was a kid, it was there every year, and St. John's was... Yeah. St. John's having the home court advantage was a big deal. 
And oh, I remember I Omar Cook. <laughs> I remember Ron Artest was amazing yes. at St. John's. Yes, he was. Um, I grew up. Eric I grew Barkley. up. A, I mean, I grew up on Big East basketball. Like I was probably at least as into Big East basketball as the Knicks when I was a kid because my dad went to Syracuse. I grew up in Connecticut, and I grew up 45 minutes from Madison Square Garden. So I've gone to the Big East tournament, and um, and it was just so ex- like yeah, like even when you're a kid, you come home and you know like. Like as soon as you get home from school, you can turn on the TV and watch basketball. Like that's the best part of March, it. right? Yep. I loved it totally. Um, that happened to me today too, and I specifically kept two hours of my day free to watch Michigan piss away a seventeen-point lead. But that's besides <laughs> the point. The point is, it's like it's a special, painful point of the year. But yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Um, yeah, it was at Madison Square Garden. Um, the game today. I'm. I think the turn. I think the tournament has to be at Madison Square Garden. Um, we'll see. We'll find out. I, I loved, yeah, especially if your team was not um, like a high seed. Um, yeah. St. John's would always... Yeah. Cool. Yeah, St. John's would always play... Like, they were a, a pretty dominant um, program until like early 2000s, like early to mid-2000s, yeah. they started to slip a bit, but they would always... I feel like our test was the last time they were really good. They had like a little bit of a revival with Lappin, but yeah, they did. Lappin, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The last time they were really, really good, yeah, was when Artest was there. Um, so, in happier news, New York City's other legitimate basketball team, the New York Knicks, have won three in a row. Um, and not just you know you could, you know they beat. Um, my God, I can't remember who they beat the game before Sacramento. Now I'm so sorry. Um, uh, Clippers. Thank you. Be the Clippers and Kings back to back. Whooped them both, and then you're thinking, okay, like, oh shit, here comes Dallas. Like, here comes reality, and they go into Dallas and beat them by thirty. Um, this has all kind of come about. I feel as everything with the Knicks, it's it's complicated. Um, I wrote about this last week that one of the things that was so heartbreaking to me about the Knicks season, the losing and particularly of late was I didn't always feel like the Knicks were playing badly. Um, I, I, there was a lot of games where, you know, the Knicks had a big lead. They were great for three quarters, um, but they would get just destroyed usually in the third or the fourth. And, and I felt bad because I felt like there were signs that things some things were moving more smoothly on both ends, but there were no results to show for it. But the results have certainly been there um, this week. They play again tomorrow in Memphis. Um, Stacey, what stood out to you from, I guess, any maybe the wins and mass or from the Dallas game in particular? That's caught your eye? Yeah, um, there's a few things. I think perimeter foot speed has been a weakness of this team all season. Um, I get there was a lot of talk before the Dallas game about, well, you know, how much, what, like, I think Stefan Bondi wrote a piece on what if the Knicks had re-signed Bullock. Yes. I think it, it really missed a lot of points. Number one, that the Knicks drafted a player who I personally believe is better than Bullock at everything. That's not a knock on Bullock. I just think Quentin Grimes is that good. And the fact that he was benched for about a third of the season <laughs> invalidates some of that. Um, but beyond that, like, um, you look at, like, they signed Kemba and Fournier. 
there's no rule that you have to play them together all the time. Um, so I would say, you know, uh, that there was a lack of kind of flexibility or optimizing lineups that played in. And you saw how how much slower they looked on defense compared to when IQ and Deuce were out there together, them switching. I mean, one thing I'll say, especially last game, and uh, Matt, I know you haven't seen this, but I know you've seen some of Deuce and IQ together. Have you mm-hmm. seen a backcourt on defense that looks the way they do? No. Um, because the way they're switching through everything, and I will say Deuce is like even more like – IQ makes the right play and is always in the right place. And he's sneakily effective because of his length. But Deuce is the guy that just looks like a monster and a beast, you know? Like, I think he ran over a screen from a center one time, like yesterday. Um, Like, he's just, he's, he is intimidating. IQ is good. And there is a difference. But when you put them together, they both elevate their game. You put them with Mm -hmm. RJ. Like, yeah, like, I, and I, I just don't know why we didn't try that at all. Um, but I'd be curious to under your thoughts on on that block court, which we've only really recently been able to see. So that backcourt, to me, actually reminds me of a football um, duo, which was around, I think the year 2000 was when the Giants had Tiki Barger and Ron Dane, both in their backfield, and they called them Thunder and Lightning. And that's I think that undersells McBride's, like, I see quickly as the the Lightning and... McBride more is the the thunder, but I but that's not to under you know Ron Dane was very physical and McBride is not unathletic certainly at all. McBride is already, I've been trying to to place the last time that I enjoyed watching any Nick play just defense the way that he does. Like there haven't been many people like that in my time as a fan. Um, for myself, I mean, even when the Knicks had great defensive teams in the '90s, you were basically watching a unit. Um, like I, I didn't just focus on Mason or Ewing or Starks. Like their defense was just like a machine that would work together and crunch things. So it was fun to watch holistically come together. This since then, um, particularly on the perimeter, I, I liked Shumpert. I felt he got way more of a rep than he deserved. Um, I think having that Derrick Rose game on a national Sunday game against the Bulls. Um, did a lot for his rep, but I never felt Shumpert was like all yeah. the way at that level. And I'm not I mean, sure. That I, 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 would, I would already say Grimes is a more complete defender than sure. than Shumpert. Yeah, I agree. I think Shumpert was more capable uh, and honorable mention when I, when I say defense, um, Pablo Prigioni's name needs to come up also, but um, Shumpert I felt had maybe a higher ceiling in, in, in moments than Grimes, but a much lower floor. Um, right. And I think that applies to, I was talking to someone today about, I, I don't think this is even close, but someone was saying Cam should start over Grimes next year. And, and we can talk about, you know, Reddish getting hurt now and what that means for the rotation. But I, I don't think Reddish is like Reddish does things that can't, or sorry, Reddish does things that Grimes can't do. But in terms of overall impact, I don't think it's particularly close, Right. Um, if you look at the mistakes Reddish makes on defense, like he makes more plays because of his wingspan that Grimes can't. But Grimes mm-hmm. makes a ton of plays himself, and he rarely makes mistakes. Um, and he makes a lot of plays that, that Cam doesn't. So it's kind of in that vein to me. 
um, I think that's that, that that's what it kind of reminded me of a little bit. But yeah, I I don't think Reddish has done anything at this point to suggest that he deserves that he deserves the time ahead of Grimes. You might come to the conclusion, certainly that depending on the moves that you make, maybe you think Reddish works better with the starters, um, and that Grimes can still play well off the bunch because Grimes seems like a pretty um, kind of universal remote. Like Grimes feels to me like you can put him in almost any lineup and he'll be fine. Um, I don't, so, so that would be one reason maybe, but, but in terms of, I think even Reddish has the reputation as like, well, he's a higher ceiling than Grimes. I think that's not fair. Um, I think in terms of what we've seen from Grimes this year and the fact that before he got hurt, Grimes was starting to do a little more creative stuff on offense. I'm sure because he has had more confidence and more playing time than early in the year. Early in the year, Grimes was almost strictly, you know, catch and shoot three and like make sure it's a good catch and shoot three. And then he started, I felt, becoming a little more comfortable shooting contested threes. And then before he went down, sometimes Thibodeau even benched him when he would try something like off the dribble. I remember in Cleveland, he did a, a move off the dribble that Fournier does all the time. And he missed a shot, and Thibodeau immediately pulled him for Fournier. So there's no way that I think Reddish is ahead of Grimes. I am very interested. It's it's sad that you know today they announced Reddish out for the year. So I really was enjoying getting the chance to see him and see more, especially with the injuries and stuff lately. Get more time. He's intriguing. Um, I like. There are things that you see happen with Reddish on the floor that give you i think more of a glimpse of the knicks being like a contemporary nba team than we often see um the knicks are not usually physically ahead of the curve at all um and reddish is not like a 10 athlete but he's intriguing um i don't know i don't know i i love I love the capacity for defense that is beginning to exist with some of these lineups. And particularly as Barrett continues to flourish, it's really exciting, I think. Like when you mentioned quickly and McBride, <coughs> I haven't seen. I mean, quickly, my my fiance would talk about it last year. Quickly moves around a lot. I on defense to me, he looks like a dancer. The way his foot's his feet move around. Um, he's got that wingspan and I mean, McBride, literally, there's there's like an aura that envelops him and the person he's guarding and the general area around them. And like, to me already as a rookie, when McBride is out there, I know he's not perfect, but when McBride is out there playing defense, I'm watching him, I'm captivated, I feel like just give this guy regular playing time for like a year or two, and you've got... I think he could be a Marcus Smart kind of player for the Knicks. And Marcus Smart is a guy that I have irrationally loved as a Celtic. I know he has flaws. He reminds me a lot of um, the 90s Knicks. And I feel like McBride is that kind of guy too. Do you – I know that there's, you know, Jokobitis is going to come over and there's other – you know, there's always free agency. There's always the draft. But how high – so from this season when McBride has had not a lot of opportunity, but he has certainly impressed in some of that opportunity – do you feel any higher or lower on McBride than you did the night that extracted him? No, I was pretty high on him. I thought he was worthy of, I think I had him like 17th. 
Um, I had him pretty high. Um, it was it was Who a. Is? I will say it was a. I'm not going to say that teams that passed on him are stupid or something like that. It was a deep draft. You saw a guy like Io DeSumno, who's been extremely critical for Chicago. Um, you've seen guys like Jared Butler, who went 40th, largely because of a heart issue, but same time, it was just a deep draft, you know? So there were a lot of guys who in other drafts were like top 20 or maybe even lotto talents that ended up going much later than that. Uh, my opinion hasn't changed of Deuce. Um, in college, what I really liked about him was obviously the defense, but he had great handle. Um, he was a good pull-up shooter. And he's he's like jacked. But the, the weird thing about him in college was that he didn't take a whole lot of layups. He didn't get to the rim a lot. And I saw that as kind of a sign of upside because he was still very productive. He never turned the ball over. Uh, you know, he had a great assist to turnover ratio. But I was like, the reason why he never drove to the hole is West Virginia often played two bigs together and they rarely ran pick and roll. And I'm like, the times I've seen this dude run pick and roll and how he plays, I'm pretty sure he can be very capable in that. And if you look at how jacked that he is, if you look at, you know, some of the transition dunks he's thrown down, I don't think he's like... He is more capable at the rim than quickly, which I don't say yeah, lightly. Absolutely. Like, um, like that's a big deal. And like, he's a bigger dude. He's pretty athletic, and he just never got to show that. So I thought that that was the reason he might have been undervalued. But to me, I, I, I this has been basically what I've expected. He's done a little bit of less on offense than you would like, but he's also he hasn't forced things. I think in general, this is kind of I don't know if it's a tips thing or a Knicks thing, but whenever new guys have been introduced to the rotation, they tend to like hang in the background for a bit until they kind of find their bearings. And you're starting to see that change a little bit with McBride, but it happened mm-hmm. with Reddish joined the lineup. It happened when IQ joined the lineup last year. Um, yeah. And that's just kind of the way it is. And, and like, I don't, I don't hate that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame tips for that. I'm not going to blame deuce for that. But you know, if you watch the way he plays, if you've watched the snippets of things he does, he's a smart player. Um, I think the main improvement to me is really ball handling because like he is good ball handler, but like, I think he could like if he gets to like tight, like where he's doing crazy moves and shit, like he can do step backs, he can create space, but I think he's just scratching the surface as a ball handler. And I think he'd be really good. And and Yokubaitis has a high potential, quickly brings a different skill set, and quickly has looked a lot better of late. Um, they're in a good place. And you know, he one thing that I, I talked about with Schwinn on the last pod, um, you know, if you look at the young guys developing like that. And you want to go after someone like Jalen Brunson, maybe Derek Rose becomes the odd person out, right? Especially since you could probably get more value for him in a trade than you could for Rose, right? Like if we were to do a sign and trade with Dallas for Brunson, for example, they'd probably want a ball handler in return. And since they're a playoff team, I would imagine Rose would be more appealing to them than someone like like Brunson, you know? So, um, but that's mm-hmm. kind of my thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. So. In the win last night, there were a lot of um, statistical stars. You know, Randall had another big scoring game, which has been very encouraging given his play of late. Um, he was brilliant to watch in Sacramento, especially. Um, Alec Burks had a typical Alec Burks game when the Knicks are doing well, which is like a surprising number of things besides points. He had 15, but he also had 11 rebounds and um, five assists. Uh, Mitchell Robinson returned from whatever illness had been keeping him down. Um, Barrett did not have the biggest game, but it sounded to me like you were still impressed in general with whatever you saw from RJ last night. And I know there was a, um, 
my god, what's his name? Ben Ridholtz? Yeah. Ben did a thread on um on things from the Dallas game that show, I think with passing and some other little less noticed things, uh some more encouraging growth from RJ. What did you see in the game from him? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'll say that the fact that we can say RJ didn't have a great game for a game where he had like I'm pulling it up now, but I think it was like 18, six and three on 14 yeah. shots. Like yeah. this is a I'm game saying. where we used to call it a good game. And now it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and that, that itself speaks. Yeah. So he had 18.7 rebounds, four assists, one turnover shot, seven, four, 16 from the field, only over three, over three, over three. So it wasn't his most efficient game, but, um, I was it at was the a, line. a four for five. He's actually had a couple was games it? now where he's, 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 if you look at this guy's work ethic and you listen to him talk, yeah. he's not going to be a bad free throw shooter. Like, no, I don't think so. It's a, it's a weird thing that if, like, I think LeBron probably has a, a 99.99% work ethic and he's never become a great free throw shooter. So it's weird, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think at, at the very least, those guys have gotten it up to 75. Like, Arjun's not going to be shooting 60% from the free throw line. Like, that's just not going to yeah, happen. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but I think what was particularly encouraging, and, and it's helped, like, if you, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly have both had a bit of a resurgence. At the same time that RJ has gotten more on-ball reps. Um, RJ's chemistry with Mitch, Mitchell Robinson is extremely evident. Uh, he probably finds him better on, on lobs than anyone else at a pick and roll. He's also shown the ability to leverage that um, and find the weak side corner or find shooters out of that when the defense overreacts to Robinson. Uh, Benji actually had a great, uh, even with Taj, there, Benji had a great clip where um, you know RJ ran a pick and roll with Taj. And he actually faked a pass to Julius on the opposite side for yeah, three, I saw that. which froze the tagger and opened it up for Taj. And if that was Mitch, that's a dunk because it was Taj. It ended up, you know, Taj came down with it and got fouled. But right. like RJ is making advanced moves. Like it, it, like you can you can just look at the stats and be like, oh yeah, his usage has gone up, but the efficiency is still bad. Or you can look at what it's comprised of, and it's comprised of things he wasn't doing before. It's comprised of a much more sophisticated playmaking set with fewer turnovers. It's comprised of a more diverse finishing package. It's comprised of the fact that like, part of the reason his efficiency is being dragged down is he's doing really well at the rim, but he's taking more step backs. He's taking more pull-up shots, and he's not great at those, but like, you, want them to take, you want him to take those, right? Because that's how you expand that skill set. Um, at the things he needs to get better at, though, he is getting better at those. So I thought he was great i thought he's been i mean he is emerging this is the first time like last year when he kind of had the hot shooting streak mm-hmm. and some nice games i was like this is a guy i think could be like a really good player and like this stretch is telling me this is a guy good that could be a star um mm-hmm. you know like last year i would have said you know he's gonna end up something like rudy gay michael finley like a very good player who maybe makes one or two all-star games that's not a knock. That's I think I would have been very happy with that. I still would. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm thinking the way the like what he's showing and the diversity. Um, yeah, I mean I'm thinking the sky's. This is the first time I'd really say the sky is the limit with RJ, as opposed to just he has a high floor and I think he's going to be really good. But I don't know how high that is. Like at this point, like nothing seems impossible for him. I wrote an article early in Barrett. It was after. <sighs> It was early, I think, in his second season. Um, 
sometime I think in a second season, and it was an article, um, intentionally, kind of hot takey titled, like why why R J Barrett is not Antoine Walker, and it was a big thing for me because the one thing I wasn't sure of initially, like you'd ask someone, and I feel like. I feel like there's an there's an enormous like we could have a whole conversation about why human nature leads so many people when it comes to a draft to overlook the fact that someone can't shoot not because it's I mean that is a skill that obviously you can learn particularly with players being as young as they are these days and and having taken as many shots as they have and having access to trainers and gurus and everything um but the number of like well if this guy gets a shot he'll be you know, Hall of Fame comp. And with Barrett, for for whatever reason, um, when he came to the Knicks, I felt very comfortable with his his work ethic and his just the sense of how this guy carried himself that he felt I don't know, not everybody I don't know I don't know what it was about him, but something gave off a sense with him more than let's say with Kevin Knox that RJ was going to squeeze like every drop, whatever he can be, he was not going to stop in the pursuit of it. And the first big question was like, can this guy shoot? Like, it doesn't matter, you know, how much you care or if you can't shoot, you're limited. And, you know, last year, great. He he was hot for long enough that you at least knew he could be a streaky shooter. The rebounding is there. The defense is there. The playmaking was the thing this year that I was like, okay, he's not going to suddenly grow more athletic or taller and just start throwing down on everybody. Like he, he is athletic in some senses, but he's, he's limited in other ways. And what's he going to, and the way he's developed now as a playmaker and the way he carries himself um, in games, he got a technical the other night. I was happy that he got the technical just because he clearly felt, you know, I don't know what the word is, confident, um, empowered, whatever I, to me, it was a good sign. It was great. Like he's so exciting. He's and the and and so I began with Antoine Walker because at all stages of Barrett's career, there have been levels where I'm like, okay, well, if I can see this out of him, like I hoped ideally Barrett would become statistically similar to Gordon Hayward, like a guy who can get you 20 a night and he'll get you six or seven rebounds. And he can get you four or five assists. Obviously, Barrett, I don't think he's the shooter that Hayward is. Hayward is not the inside presence that Barrett is. But I thought he could be that kind of production and a, an all-star a few times. But he does continue. It, it's very impressive at the end of year three, Barrett, I think more than Porzingis even, has allowed fans to continue to not stop dreaming of where it could end up. And I don't think I've ever seen a Nick. I, I didn't follow them when they drafted Ewing. I was too young. Um, I've never seen. I think KP hit really quick and fell pretty quick. But I think that Barrett, after year three, still has people like loving RJ Barrett and confident that this this ride is still climbing. That's an, To me, that's the best thing of this season. No matter what happens... I was going to ask you actually next, like, what's the thing you want to see the most this season? One reason I don't really care if they make the playoffs or are in the lottery is because 
the biggest thing I care about for me has been answered, which is that RJ Barrett is legit. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that that I, I think I've tweeted this before that that is kind of more than anything else. That's the most important thing that could have happened this season. Even if everyone else was a bust of the young guys, yeah, uh, completely, yeah. And I don't think that's the case, by the way. But um, yeah, you know, with RJ, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to compare him to KP because KP came off the bat and made a lot of wow plays. Yes. And KP was the kind of guy who, right off the bat, even though his numerical statistics, his counting stats weren't always great, he had a high positive impact from advanced stats perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Especially on defense. Um, RJ was was very not impactful. He was the guy that you know, we love Seth Partnell. Like he's come on the pod a few times, but when you talk when you talk to you know national writers and they talk about the skepticism around RJ, it's that he hasn't been, according to advanced stats, a great player yet. But he's gotten better every year, and he's worked on every single skill. And if you compartmentalize, and if you deconstruct how he's improved, and you were like, if I was RJ Barrett, how would I improve my game in an ideal world if I had a, that kind of crazy work ethic? He's not exactly that. You know, he's worked on his jumper. Uh, he did, I mean, his free throw shooting hasn't been great, but you have to remember he was a 60% free throw shooter as a, as a rookie. He went up to 75% last year. Even this year is at 70%. So it's not like he's like he has improved in that, right? He's worked on his gather at the rim. He's worked going to his right. He's worked on his playmaking. His defense from like he was awful as a rookie, right? Um, like it's just that's the thing that probably differentiates him. Like the his number one trait as a as a player is the ability to get two foot in the paint and get to the rim, right? That's his best attribute as a player. And he combines that with above average qualities and pretty much everything else. Beyond that, like his elite skill really is just his work ethic. That and and I mean that's a tough thing to gauge, right? Um because you know, you're if you're talking about 99.9 percentile of NBA players work ethic, you're talking about 99.9 percentile of a group of people that are 99.9 percentile mm-hmm. compared to us, right? Like people might call Michael Beasley lazy. The fact is he's harder working than 99.9 percent of people, right? Like say, the yeah, laziest yeah. player in the NBA is an extremely hard worker. So um, the fact that RJ has consistently stood out in that, and it shows on the court how he improves, that's probably the biggest thing of all. And um, you know, there's comps you can talk about. You know, his progression is starting to parallel a little bit. Jalen Browns. Um, that there's others probably that, that a lot of people have mentioned Jimmy Butler, but you know it, it's um, yeah, like it's definitely the most excited I've been about a player since KP. The caveat I'll add though is that like the other young players, if you think of the extremes of like KP being like a guy that there was a reason to be excited for, not just from us, like it was validated also because you had Bill Simmons writing articles about KP, you had Zach Lowe talking about him, all of that. Whereas there are other young players, like maybe Frank, right? Or Knox, who it was more local. Like, yeah, like he had 12 points last night and, you know, that was a fun time. The difference is, though, like even the the play... And I would put RJ in a class of his own when it comes to the Knicks prospects. But the other Knicks prospects are also not in quite... And I'm not trying to pick on Frank or Knox and or any of those guys or even Shumpert or any of those. What I'm saying is like we have a different caliber of young prospect that even goes beyond RJ. 
um, I think quickly was extremely productive as a rookie and has been a highly impactful player in, in the way that, you know, a lot of players like that just bodes really well. Grimes has already shown a high floor as a guy who can knock down threes at a high rate and is like never really covered because of his high release and defends at a high level. Like that's better. Like Grimes alone, like when's the last time we had a rookie as good as Grimes besides KP? Like Shumper wasn't that good. Uh, Frank wasn't that good. No, nope. Frank was not. Like I would say, besides besides KP, the last guy Mitch. that was even as good as Mitch. Mitch, Mitch I was going to say Gallinari. Gallinari reminds. I mean, they're different players. Uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. Gallinari or Fields is not a bad comparison. Yeah, I think Fields is, but he's such a better shooter. Um, yeah, like well, Fields like he had a he was shooting forty percent that first half, but also it was kind of that like soccer throw-in style shot where you're like, yeah, it was. It can was I trust pretty. this? <laughs> yeah, and whereas pretty. Grimes is, Grimes looks like Ray Allen when he shoots, you know. So, yeah, um, he's beautiful. So Grimes is there. Quickly, I mentioned. Um, like, Obi would be the kind of guy, like, if he was our best prospect in, like, the Frank or Knox or Shumpert times, like, we would be blowing up way more than he we are. But yeah. we don't because we have so many other guys. Sims Sims is, like, basically as good as Mitch was as a rookie, even though he's significantly older. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I went through the list yesterday. There's no, There's legit nine young guys on the Knicks who are worth getting excited about, right? One of them is just like, looks like a star in RJ. Then you have IQ, Grimes, Obi, who look like at least rotation players. In IQ and Grimes' case, I think they look like they'll be starters for good teams. Mm-hmm. Obi, I think, could be, but he's some kinks to work out. Um, Deuce, Deuce has looked like, at the minimum, a guy who can hit open threes and be a, a pain in the ass in the point of attack. That has value, as we've seen with Pat Beverly. And like that even seems like the floor for him because I think he has more playmaking shops. He's much more That's athletic. Much more athletic. Yeah, he's just. I mean, Pat Beverly has admitted like he, he's a guy who's had to grind his way there. And, and no knock on him, but Deuce is, has more God-given talent. That's five, right? Who am I missing? So there's Rokas Yakubaitis. We mentioned him, but he's killing it in Europe. He might be. I people on the the Strickland Discord got offended when I was like he might be the best of the Knicks young guards. Like, what about Quickly? And I was like, that's not a knock on Quickly. Like, Yokubaitis is just that good that he yeah. has a legitimate claim to that. So at six, just then there's Cam Reddish. Like Cam Reddish, I'm bringing up now, right. who's six eight guy, athletic. He can get to the like we saw what he could do late in both the Clippers game and the Suns game, just being able to get to the rim in situations that no other Nick can. Uh, And then um, there's someone I'm missing. That's eight, I think. Was that seven or eight? That was seven. That was seven. seven. Um, Do you know I'm missing? There's there's two more I'm missing. I counted them out. You said Sims, right? Yeah, I said... uh, Shamanich, is that someone you're thinking of? No. So I said RJ, Deuce... So RJ, OB, Grimes, Quickly... Deuce, Sims, Cam. Is it? Rokas Yokobitis, that's eight. And it's, not then, Ryan, it's not Ryan Archie Diacono, is it? It's not, it might be eight. It might be eight. But I Eight's just, plenty good. Eight's plenty good. Yeah. Um, you know? And, and then, yeah, they're going to. I guess you just oh, nine, nine is would be they draft. Nine, no, ninth would be Mitch. Ninth would be Mitch. If you want to consider him a young guy, he's getting up for extension. Oh, okay, okay. Him, yeah, so. yeah. 
and also they have a draft pick to add to that you know yeah um speaking of you can't always get what you want as miss jagger told us but let's say you could what do you stacy want realistically well yeah realistically this season could end with the knicks in the play-in it could end with the knicks in the lottery um do you have a preference? Like, let's say the Knicks, I mean, the Knicks would have to play really well to make, to even to make it in the play-in. Like, they would have to upset a lot of teams. Um, let's say that, you know, you could have the Knicks, you know, they close, I don't know, 13-3, and three, and they finish 500, they roll into the play-in, they knock out Atlanta, knock out some, get the seven seed, Go to the playoffs, make a little bit of noise before going down in the first round. Or would you rather, assuming both ways, the youngsters play well and they lead the push into the playoffs, or the youngsters play well, but the team finishes, you know, ninth? What would you rather have happen this year? Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and at this point, I don't want to talk about what I'd rather happen. I would rather just, at this point, I just want them to play the kids, and I'll be zen with the outcome. If they win with the nice. kids, great. If they don't, if you, you know, gun to my head, I'd probably say, yeah, I want them to win with the kids, make the plan. And if they, because if they make the plan with the kids, I don't think that, I don't think a situation would happen where they would make the plan with the kids. But RJ wouldn't have emerged, but quickly wouldn't have emerged. Would Deuce wouldn't have emerged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably going to be entailed with that. But in general, like play the play the kids because I think that does both things. That is best for your future, and it's also probably the best way to win games in the short term. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I legitimately believe that. I don't think we need to. I think the starting lineup has looked better. Yeah, it because has. he played with more pace. Mm-hmm. But also, I think Alec Burks has still looked better. Like he's been shooting better of late, and I don't think it's coincidence that he's gotten to play more with next to Dews, next to Quickly, next to both him and McBride. Mm-hmm. Like he's just a better player off ball. So um, much better. He's so much better. And like, and that's that's the worst part of it. It's like, the, and like that's why it's a nuanced conversation on Twitter and stuff. Because you're like, man, stop playing Burks at point guard. I'm not trying to shit on Alec Burks. Like. I think he's a good player. Yeah, it's nothing to do with that. Alec Burke's last season was as pleasant a surprise as anyone and as good a fourth quarter player as they had, including Randall. Like, we know what he can do. And the first half of this year, or the first part of this year, he was really good too. People forget that. Like, Alec Burke started this season out really well playing 25 minutes a game. It's when he started playing 34 and having to play point. And even, even he can play point guard against bench units. Right, but it's like one thing that one it's used as a pejorative, but one thing people say against about quickly is that he's more like Lou Williams, he's better off going against bench units as the primary ball handler. Like I think that applies more to Burks, and not in a bad way, but like he's great when he can use his own shot when there aren't a whole lot of other people next to him that demand the ball, and he can just kind of go and, and look for his own shot and and play teams when they are over aggressive against that. That doesn't work against starting lineups as well. Whereas I think quickly is a little bit more reading the floor type. He's not he's not as tall as Burks. He's not as good as drawing fouls. 
so he's not I think Burks is a better scorer than him, but I think quickly is better I think he's better suited to play with RJ and Randall, right? Um yes. but that aside, um I, I would hope that they, they move Burks off ball. I don't think they should bench I personally wouldn't bench Burks and Fournier, especially now that we know Cam is out. Like I think you can play all the young guys. Um but yeah, you're you're gonna get I mean the the rotation you know, we'll see if, if and when Rose comes back. For, but for now, assuming Burks doesn't move, it's going to be Burks, um, Fournier, RJ, Randall, and Mitch as the starters. And then the backup will be Deuce, IQ. Um, and then, yeah, you're, I mean, you're going to have to play Randall and, and or Burks at the three. Whenever Obi comes back, he'd be the backup four. And until then, like, again, RJ has to play that four backup minutes. Uh, and Todd, right? That's probably what it's going to be going forward. Or, or Sims. Todd or Sims or some combination. Or maybe Todd gets some of the four minutes. That's still, like, I, I can nitpick about the fact that Burks is probably getting too many minute, more minutes. Uh, and I, I also don't want to kill RJ's ankles. But you're going to see all the guys that, like, you're, we are going to have finished this year having seen all of the guys you want to learn more about get minutes. And from what I've seen... Yeah, like you watch Deuce and IQ and Cam and RJ. And even when they play with Randall, it ups his game too. Like it's contagious. You watch them play defense. You watch them get in transition. You watch them move the ball. And I understand that like there's a lot of people who are like, well, you know, a lot of the tips defenders especially are going to be like, well, you haven't seen them really face adversity. I'm not saying they would be some world-beating team that would make the playoffs. What I'm saying is that they're fun as hell to watch. And they play the way that I think we'd want to play. And I think that is another thing that maybe Tibbs will have to consider because Tibbs has a little bit of a conservative defensive scheme. And he likes to switch more off picks in the backcourt. He likes to funnel ball handlers to the bigs as opposed to kind of you know, rely on his, his defensive guards to, to block off all rotation. Now that you have these athletic guards, maybe you want to be more aggressive, you know. And he's shown the capacity and flashes to do that, but that'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. It is nice to see that the lineup that is playing well is also the lineup that is having success, and is also the lineup that is most significant long term. Like that doesn't always align, so that's nice to see. Um, Let's talk about the lottery in this sense, Stacey. I want to know, are there any teams in the lottery? This is, a, this is a game I play way too much as a Nick fan. Are there any other teams in the lottery that you would be especially devastated for them to win the number one pick? Because I have two teams that I will flip my shit if they win the lottery this year. Um, but I'm wondering if you... The first thing that comes to mind is New Orleans. New Orleans. Okay, good. Why? The first thing comes to because New Orleans bloggers are the most notorious for constantly whining about big market bias when they've won the lottery ten thousand times and pissed it away. Um, and then the other it one looks like they lose. They lose their pick if it's to um, Portland. Oh, if, really? Yeah, to Portland, and if it's eleven to thirty, no, it's I... the Lakers. Wait, they so lose it even safe. if they... No, 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 no. They, they're protected. If New Orleans wins the lottery, they get the first pick. So... Oh, God. Okay, good. Okay, so Pelicans... I did not Pelicans know that. Pelicans are that's there a, for me. That's a good answer. 
Um, and then of the other ones, I don't hate Oklahoma City. That's the thing. Um, probably Atlanta, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's one you? of my two. Atlanta is one of them just because um, that would be so annoying as a Nick fan for Atlanta to just land whatever they need. But also, I can't have the Rockets win the lottery. I hate the Rockets. I hate their owner. Um, he's a deplorable human being. And I I feel the Rockets have won the lottery a bunch. I feel like the Rockets are, are one of those organizations that things just kind of fall into their lap enough. Like, they're, they're always pretty good or pretty intriguing. Like, always. Like, literally since since 40 years ago, the Rockets are, like, usually pretty good and pretty intriguing. And, like, they win just enough lotteries to have shit work out like that. I can't have that happen. I can't have Tillman Fertitta getting a great underpaid player that he can screw over for four or five years. Like, no, it can't be Houston. Um on the inverse, if the Knicks cannot win the lottery, is there a team or teams that you would be most excited to see what they could do if they were to win the top overall pick? Can you say that again? Sorry. Yeah. Are there are there any teams that, assuming the Knicks didn't win the top pick, are there any other teams just as a basketball fan that you would be especially excited to see land the number one pick and think about? what they might add to their mix. There's a few teams that I'd be very, um, I'd like to see them win if the Knicks didn't. Yeah. So one that comes to mind is Detroit, especially if they took Chet Holmgren. Um, I think he would just be really fun with Cade Cunningham. Um, I think going down the list, Oklahoma city like has a couple of really like Holmgren would be great with any team with a creative ball handler. So Oklahoma City has both Giddy and Shigelis Alexander. They'd be interesting. Indiana has okay. So I think if Holmgren's the top pick, I think there's not a single team like Indiana, Detroit, Oklahoma City would all be awesome fits with him, just because they all have great passers. Yeah. Um, that's probably my answer. And then if if the number one pick ends up being Jabari Smith, um. Honestly, I feel like, I mean, I think he'd just be so great in New York because um, I think he could be the rare guy that actually would convince Tibbs to play Randall at the five. Um, you know, and Is I think, he a rim protector? No, but he's an excellent defender. Okay. Um, he, like, he is a way better def- Like, he's very switchable. He's quick. He's long. Like, he's the same dimensions as Obi, not as, not as vertically athletic, but way more mobile laterally and he's a really smart player and he can shoot from everywhere mm-hmm. like he is i mean like you don't want to throw out a kd comp but that level of 610 shooting like the way he can shoot is is very unprecedented i'll put it like that mm-hmm. um but yeah so assuming chet goes first i would say oklahoma indiana uh, and detroit are like the three teams i think would be really fun to see chat on what about you i would be cool with orlando winning the lottery i miss orlando being good um it's a good it's always fun when the knicks and magic play and the magic are good and i i like i think their roster is a star away from being pretty interesting um i think they have a lot of young players who are not like number ones, but if you added a number one to them, someone like a Holmgren, um, 
I think it would be really interesting to see like how that team came together. So I would be happy if Orlando won. I would be happy if um, OKC won because I don't think there is a like wing pair in the league that I like more than um, SGA and Giddy. I love Giddy. Um, I've loved him all year, and they're so they're fun. I think they're so fun together. So I'd, I would love to see what they could do. Um, adding an elite talent, and I think that's it. I don't want anyone else to win. That that was the my two. Yeah, I mean, I want the Knicks to win. That's kind of what it comes down to. Who would um, you would you take Holmgren if the Knicks if the Knicks won the top pick? Personally, I would, but um, I also think Holmgren is just it's the kind of pick that is going to be under immediate scrutiny from. Mm-hmm. The fan base, for better or for worse, uh, like let's let's lay the cards on the table. He's he's a white, skinny dude with an unorthodox profile. I to me, that's like my jam. Like I just love taking bets on people that don't look like what we've seen. Not sorry, I should say not the white part necessarily, but um, <laughs> just like the, I, I've always I said this on the last pod when we did with Prez. Like I've always been intrigued by unique combinations of skill and size and that's just not like yeah. a seven footer who can shoot it could be like i love like six four dudes who are chunky and big and can rebound well but have like quickness right so like draymond types or like marcus smart types right um that's just always in my jam so i would but I, I mean there's this is a good draft like i think jabari smith like schwinn and omar yusuf on on the strickland discord Made a great case for Jabari Smith. Like he gives the Knicks a lot of flexibility. The, obviously, I would welcome Jaden Ivey with open arms. I think Paulo Benchero is a lot like Julius Randle, which makes that, you know, not the most appealing pick, but also he's a lot like the Knicks' best player and probably has a, a slightly higher ceiling and is, you know, on the same vein. So that's not exactly a bad thing either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, th- I mean, those are really your four guys. There is AJ Griffin, too, who had a nice game today, had a couple of nice finishes against Syracuse. And if he does recover fully from his injury in high school, that would be something there. Um, but I would put him in a little bit of a different tier. Those are the four guys to me. And of those four, if I had to pick first, I would take Holmgren. Yeah, because I think that I do think he would compliment Randall really well. Uh, I think he just has a very unique skill set. I think he has like a killer instinct. Like th- this is again, I try not to affect, let this affect my draft evaluations because we don't really know. There are people who look stoic as hell that on the inside are killers, and then there are people who yell and scream are very animated that are soft. Right? Let's be real. Like <laughs> we don't know any of that, and it feels a little unfair for us to comment on it. That said, when you watch Chet play, he weighs all of 180 pounds. And he goes right at people all the time, bigger dudes. He's not scared. And he's yamming on them. He's crossing them up. He's taking the ball court to court. Does he get, does he sometimes not work? Yeah. Um, but the way the guy, like, he's not soft, you know, like he needs to gain weight, but he's not soft. Um, and he can shoot and he's smart and he can block anything. Like, even when he gets posted up, he's great at fronting the post. He's great at using his length, even when he does get posted up. So, to me, if you looked at the highest ceiling of the draft, to me, that's easily Chet. If you look at the highest floor, that's probably Jabari. Um, and I think those, I, like, those would, I would be fine with either of those two picks or or Ivy. 
But like, there's those two picks who I'd be, I think there's a strong case for either. If they wanted Ivy, I'd be like, okay, like those two are probably better, but I get it with Ivy. I love Ivy as a prospect. And Paolo is probably the one I would be least excited about in that group. But still, I would be like, well, we added a great talent. So maybe that wasn't the best pick, but, um, you know, like it's going to help us. So, Do you have... <clears throat> Do you have more or fewer or the same? Like, where would you rank injury concern? Not injury. What's the word? Where would you rank your skepticism about KP's body working over the course of an NBA career versus how you feel about Holmgren's? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would be, I would have been, I was more worried about KP. One, um, KP did have anemia, so he had an actual... Con- I, I don't know that anything like that exists with Chet, but KP had issues with iron in his blood and fainting, and he, I think he's worked through those, but that was an issue. Um, I would say Chet is more laterally mobile, right? So the thing is, like, you can talk about, is he a center, is he a wing? Like, Chet... It's not he's not the mobility of an NBA wing, but he's the mobility of an NBA four, and he's a lot bigger than an NBA four in terms of length, right? So, mm-hmm. and KP strictly did not. KP had nice dribble moves, but they were so like he had those moves of like him doing like a crossover, like a behind the back dribble and a step back, and I was like, like it was clean and smooth, but it was glacial. Right? Like it doesn't like even when he worked on the dream shake or whatever, it didn't really create a ton of space it was mostly like i'm doing things and i'm taller than you chet actually yeah like chet can actually create space with that um so so to answer your question um i am probably in terms of can he gain weight i'm on a similar worry path of kp but why i think it's less of a concern is a and and you hate to you know discriminate but I, I think the fact that there is no anemia or anything like that that's been mentioned with Chet is a positive sign. And B, the fact that for better or for worse, he is more laterally, not for better or for worse, he's more laterally quick. So like he can guard, I think he will be able to guard fours. KP struggled to guard fours. Mm-hmm. Um, like he will have the quickness to be a weak side rim protector. And that means that like all you need to pair Chet with is a guy, a guy who can guard, like a guy who is not a great rim protector but can guard in the post, right? So if I had to ask you, who's a good guy who can kind of switch into guards, who's a great rebounder, who's burly, and can guard post defenders, but isn't a great rim protector, what comes to mind? What player comes to mind? <clears throat> I know this one. Julius Randle. <laughs> exactly, right? So he's... And, like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fours like that. There's a lot of guys like that. So he actually opens up that lineup possibility for you and, and then if you look at a team like the Cavs, you can also play him next to a traditional five because of his shooting ability, right? Like, look at what the Cavs did with Lowry, Mobley, and, um, and Jared Allen. Um, you know, be, yeah. it's partly because of Jared Allen's skill, but you can play, like, I think, could Chet play next to Mitch? I think so. Wow. I remember writing a piece once spe- speculating on if Mitch and KP had ever played together. And the idea of a of a laterally mobile KP and Mitch um, would be pretty awesome. Yeah, we don't know if Mitch is going to be back, of course. But right, you know. um, 
Yeah, I saw a clip of I think it was against San Francisco where Holmgren I think he comes off a screen and gets the ball at the top of the three point line and in two dribbles has driven to the free throw line, spun into the paint and dunked. And he looked I you're I don't I don't see him as like guard quick, but he was forward quick, like in the body of a giant person. That was pretty shocking. Um, yeah, I mean, Jer- Jaron Jackson, if you watched him on the Grizzlies, is a decent comp, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of what he can do with the ball. I think he's got a more fluid release, and he can be a better shooter than Jackson. I think he's got, he's a more consistent motor than Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the kind of impact you're talking about, like a Swiss ar- Army knife on offense. Like, too quick for centers and too big f- and can shoot over wings and guards but isn't guard quick or wing quick and isn't center strong, right? But it's just, it's tough to guard him with any prototype of any of those positions because of Mm -hmm. like the fact that he can do all of those things at a high level. When you talked earlier about, you know, really digging players who, you know, their body and their game, you know, doesn't seem to go together. um, That's one reason why Anthony Mason was so much fun to watch play. Yep. Um, um, God, if you, if you were able to see Mace play, like that was something else. Um, last point I have, um, revolves around Banchero and it's something I learned the year that Tatum came in the draft. Um, the year Tatum came in the draft, I think either I didn't, I don't know if I wrote a piece on him or if I, Either I thought I didn't want to do it because there was no way the Knicks were going to draft that high, or I didn't want to do it because I thought, like, well, they already have Carmelo. Like, they're not going to draft, you know, a scorer who's the same size and does the same position. as. And, like, how fucking stupid I was. And so when I see... That's how I felt. I made the the same mistake with... There was a a 6'6 guard from Kentucky who I really liked. I was like, you know what? Shea Alexander is too similar to Frank Nilakina, and I don't know if he <laughs> should have So we've all been there. That's <laughs> true. So Manchetto, when I hear the when I hear descriptions of his game, um, I've heard a lot of Randall comps. Is he left-handed? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's right. Okay, I've just I've heard a lot of Randall stuff, or at least in relation to the Knicks and Manchetto. And when I first ever heard just even the two of them linked, I'm like, oh god, like. Don't do that. You already have Randall, but I have learned my lesson from Tatum and Mello. If if people yeah. think, "Wow, Bonchetto's like that good," um, like he's he's not. There's there are. It's very tough to picture him being not a very good NBA player. The question is: Is he like a generational talent? Like I think Chet could be. Like Jabari might be. That's where like it's tough to see that, and that is kind of the Randall mold, right? But like he's not going to not be very good, and I think he's better than like even a guy like Jabari Parker, who would be maybe like some people would mm. call a floor for that. Because if you can, if you can, strictly in terms of roster flexibility and ignoring all other considerations in life, if you could draft. You know, if, if Randall's ceiling is like, let's say in his career he makes two All-Star games, which is an excellent career, um, and he makes, you know, one All-NBA team, okay? 
if Banchero is in that range, or maybe even a little higher, but like even in that range, and you can draft that person on a rookie contract, now Randall is expendable. Um and is the kind of contract that you could use to bring back. So, for example, in a lot of universes, I have absolutely no interest in the Knicks trading for Damian Lillard. Like, I don't think it matches up at all. But let's say the Knicks moved up in the lottery and they took Banchero and then they moved Randall and whatever parts they need to to Portland and they get back Lillard. And then next year, I'm going into the season with Lillard and Banchero, I think I'd be pretty excited. Because I don't think you would have lost anything, you know, too long term in that case. Because if you, you know, I don't think going forward anyone thinks that Randall is a player that you can build the team around. Where with Banchero, like, you don't know. So you'd be trading Randall for Lillard in that case. That would be the centerpiece of it? Yes. And I wouldn't do that otherwise at all. Not because... Obviously, I think Lillard's far superior, but I wouldn't trade. Like, I I sounded crazy a few summers ago because I didn't want to trade Mitchell Robinson in a deal to get Anthony Davis. But it wasn't because I thought Mitchell Robinson was better than Anthony Davis. It was because the the deal the the names that people were talking about that the Knicks would have to give up, like everything the Knicks would have to give up to get Davis, meant they were going to have basically no roster like left afterwards and i felt like you know i don't i don't need anthony davis if he has no one to work with so in that case let me keep my pieces including mitchell robinson i wonder i wouldn't i wouldn't want to trade randall for lillard straight up because i don't need lillard at whatever he is like 33 34 like leading this team as i'm trying to build a a, you know into the future but with I don't know I don't know why I hmm, I have to think about this some more. It's possible this sounds very crazy. Yeah, I mean I just don't think Portland would do that. Um, no, no, no. I'm sh- no. They would have no reason to. I'm just because if they're strictly... trading Lillard, then they're going to be like, which power forward do I want? Do I want Julius Randle, who isn't young by the? I mean, who isn't old by the way, but he's also right. not young, <laughs> right? Uh, right? Or would right. I want the similar prototype you got, who's going to cost me? You know about forty percent of the cost, and uh, is going to get better over the course of this contract. Like they would demand Paolo if they were trading, and and some other team would offer that equivalent. Right? Would I do that trade? Absolutely. But uh, I mean, if you if you draft Paolo Banchero, or I mean, if you draft Jabari Smith, like you can play them together. But there would be an eye towards. I mean, Obi is probably is definitely gone at that point. I think there's a good chance that Obi's gone no matter what, especially with Reddish right. and Barrett showing that they can play that three four combo thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Obi, sadly enough, is probably going to be gone because I don't think they're going to trade Randall. So um, you know, if Paolo comes, that's going to happen. But they would probably demand Paolo. <laughs> like it's nice to think about, but um, but I, I just don't see that happening. Would you say that um, would Paolo be considered a higher a higher level of prospect than RJ was the year that the Knicks drafted him? Would I consider Paolo? I would consider him the same mold, actually. Yeah, I would okay. consider him about the same. I would say I would consider Jabari to be jaw level. I would consider Chet to be jaw level. I don't think any of them is quite as hyped as Zion was. 
Right. Uh, and then I would consider Ivy to be somewhere between RJ and Ivy is probably close to jaw level, but he's a little bit less. So Ivy is between RJ and jaw level. Okay. Um, I think a good comp for how hyped Ivy is is probably D'Angelo Russell. Different players, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the level of prospect he is. And I love D'Angelo Russell as a prospect. That was the guy I wanted that draft if we couldn't get town. Yeah, me too. Um, especially with we had did we still have the, we didn't have D'Antoni anymore, but I, I just I really thought he would be I loved his passing game and I, mm-hmm. I liked the player he was in college. Uh, yeah. even though he did go to Ohio State. But um <laughs> but um I would say he's that level of prospect and then Paolo Paolo is the same level of prospect that RJ was, which was like very good. You know he's gonna be good, a blue chip guy, but also not like that automatic home run. Like yeah. he was a double. Like RJ was a double when it comes to the draft. Like, you know, like this is a a very good thing. It's not going to solve all your problems. It's not a home run, but it gets you a guy in scoring position. It gets you mm-hmm. a guy who like you can build around, right? It's it's not it's not it's not cat. It's not um, you know, what the Cavs are doing with Evan Mobley, but it's it's very good. And that's what I think Paolo will be. Whereas I think Chet is Maybe a triple. I don't know, but somewhere between those two. But uh, yeah, that's how I'm thinking about it. And I think Chet, Chet and Jabari are like the same tier. That's I guess that's how I think about it. I don't think I I did my Strickland mock big board, and I probably put all four of them in the same tier. But talking through it, I'd probably put Chet and Jabari in the same tier, and I'd probably put Ivy above Paolo, but the two of them in the same tier. Hmm. All right, my last question for you is this. Would you give R.J. Barrett the max rookie extension when he is up to be extended? Well, he's not up to be extended. Oh, so he's up to extended this year, right? I'd give him 25. That's what I'd give him this this summer. Is that the, um, ma- is that the rookie max? The, that, no, that's not the rookie max, I don't think. How much is the rookie max? It's like thirty something, right? Yeah. That's not with the rose. That's not the one that has that rose, um, that rose clause in it, right? That like Kyrie got, and is that the yeah. super max or that's like the regular max? I think you do have to meet an all NBA team for that. Yeah. Um, I would give him twenty five. Okay. It's interesting uh, I to think, think like about. even even if he does, because like. Wiggins got, I think, 33 a year. Yeah, he did. That turned out to be premature, but they got out of it. They got D'Lo back. Like, they didn't get killed by that deal. Um, they had to give up a first. So I guess that that does that's not ideal. Which I think turn. turned into Kuminga. I think that was the first. Kuminga or Moody? Was it Kuminga? It was Kuminga, yeah. I think it was. They yeah. got they got Moody at 14. That's yeah. That's uh bullshit. <laughs> that was a deep draft, right? <laughs> I wouldn't have. I mean, if the Knicks were at eight or nine, I would have been very upset if they passed on Moody. Uh, regardless, I would give RJ something around in the range of twenty-five. Um, and I mean, if they wait till the year after, then it's probably going to be a max because I expect him to improve. Mm. Um, but I would try to lock him up for something in the range of twenty to twenty-five this summer, for for hundred. I think that's pretty fair. That's. I mean, that's more than what Fred VanVleet gets and. RJ has improved, but he's not as good as Fred VanVleet. You're betting that he's going to get better, and I think that's a good bet. But we also don't need to go overboard on that bet. So, mm-hmm. what about you? 
Oh, as a fan, I would pay RJ. Um, I'd pay him whatever he wants because the caps. How many up. Dinwiddie coins would you give? <laughs> <laughs> the crypto mamba. I would. Um, I would give him whatever he wants, honestly, because and realistically, because the cap is going to go up. So I think whatever deal you sign him to, it's going to be reasonable. And if you're a legit organization, like that contract should not uh, restrict you from making future big moves. Because to me, a reason I would give it to RJ ahead of, of other people, I never thought uh, with injuries concerns, I never wanted KP to get a max. But another reason I wasn't sure about ever maxing KP was I didn't know I wasn't sure how you can build around him. Like I feel like you have to, you have to build a certain way around him if he's healthy, and if he's not healthy, it gets even more complicated. With RJ, I feel like you want to build a team around a, a dominant center. RJ can work with that. You want to build a team around, you know, an elite guard. RJ can play with that. You want to have another a super jumbo wing next to RJ can play with that. Like you can also play he, with a non. I mean, like. Emmanuel quickly is not a traditional point guard, but they yeah. look great together because RJ makes like can he can do those things, right? So he's not RJ is not a point guard, but he can do so many of those things that it reduces the burden on mm-hmm. whoever you do play at that position. So like I don't know if I'm as positionless as as some people are about the game, but I have always felt since watching Barrett since he came to the Knicks, like he is what you call a basketball player. Like that's what he is, more than anything else. And as as a fan, it's it's really fun to watch, um, and as a, someone who roots for the team to improve in the future, I just think he's a very mutable piece. He's a quality mutable piece, and it has been an extremely long time since the Knicks had that. Um, so I, I would give him whatever. I really because also because I think his work ethic. You know, he's not, he's, I think it was Glenn Taylor who like insisted that Andrew Wiggins look him in the eye and promise he was going to keep working hard to get the max extension. It was like, it was so absurd. I I don't think, I don't need RJ to look me in the eye. I know it's there. And I know that this person, he's got a good NBA body. He's got a great pedigree. Um, You know, he's also, I mean, you hate to talk. I try to shy away from some of this stuff because it yeah. seems unfair to players like like Randall, like Mello, who I think the media paints a certain way. But that said, RJ, even at 21, just seems so naturally fit for the role of face of the franchise. Isn't he? You look yes. at his interviews, you look at how early he's taking a leadership role on, and it's not like that Mamba mentality even, right? He's not overstating. He's not like an in-your-face, game-face guy. But he just like always seems to know how to handle every situation, you know. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, he has that quality. Not many athletes do. Not many athletes who come up young and hyped in New York do. And like no twenty-one-year-olds do. I mean, if you just look at me when I was twenty-one, shit. Like you know, if you look just... at, I mean, I mean, guys like I mean, but even you know, guys like LeBron and Luca. That's where you talk about. Even those guys struggled with those aspects, right? And and. RJ has probably been helped by the fact that there have been vets, that there has been a strong personality like Tibbs, but he's um, he's been groomed for this his whole life, you know, and I think it shows. When I was twenty one. I was in college in Buffalo, and there was a night that I got 
very inebriated. Inebriated is a word for it with uh, my roommate. Shout out Kenneth Lamb. And we were going to have pizza rolls when it was all done. And it's like five in the morning. And so not inebriated. You were, we're, 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 no, still very much so. And we're about to like go to bed. And I realized that we never got the pizza rolls. And it was a thing we were going to do. So I live on South Campus in Buffalo, which is right by uh, Main Street in the city. And you have to cross like 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 four lanes of, of much traffic wow. to get to the supermarket. I walked across the street, walked to the supermarket, walked to the section where the pizza rolls were, which they were not in the freezer. They were in one of those little like like portable little cooler things that you know supermarkets have out as you walk by. And I crawled inside the pizza roll display and passed out and was woken up by a store employee <laughs> shaking <laughs> my shoulder and saying, you can't sleep in the pizza rolls, sir. That was me at 21. So <laughs> that's a very long way of me saying that I trust RJ Barrett. Um, I, I think he's awesome. I've, I have very much fallen in love with RJ even more than I already was just in the course of this episode. Yeah, he would not sleep with the uh, pizza rolls, so to speak. I don't. I don't think RJ ever did that. So we all make our way in life. Um, and, and by the way, I think that's a trait. I mean, RJ, I think is showing is stepping up more as a leader. Out of I think probably he's been encouraged to by the team. Um, but that's a like you know just the kind of like all of the young guys, the nine guys I mentioned. Like we've all seen that, like they've been universally talked about as high work ethic guys. Like mm-hmm. quickly, I think in particular is like super religious, family oriented. Like plays video games, plays basketball, and sleeps kind of dude. Like, mm-hmm. like we're not talking about dudes going on the road with James Harden and like blowing fifty k at a strip club, <laughs> right? Like these are all dudes who like live, breathe, and sleep like their family and basketball. Um, and and I mean that applies to Julius too. By the way, we saw the article with like. And like, I mean, he talked about quitting wine, right? But I think like what he was talking about was like a glass a month. And he's like, I stopped drinking a glass of wine a month, right? Like that's, these are the guys on the team, which that's not, that's not to say that dudes who, you know, like to live it up and sleep with pizza rolls can't be great basketball players. But um, I was never drafted, so I never got the chance to represent the pizza roll sleeper community. I, I can definitely, and now the image is in my head, I can definitely picture James Harden waking up in like a Kroger or like some <laughs> stop and shop butt ass naked in the in the shelves with like chips all over his mouth and everything and someone would be like, Sir, you have to go. Um that's uh, and I'm gonna be able to sleep. But um but I mean I think that they're all very serious, the young Knicks guys. Um and other vets. So I think that they have built that culture for better or for worse. So Yeah. And RJ is just kind of the flagship for that. We will end on that very optimistic and bizarre note. Um, <laughs> James Harden naked. Thank you, James Harden is where this where episode eighteen ends. But um, stay tuned for episode nineteen, which will happen in a few days. Remember, the Knicks are playing in Memphis on Friday, and then they're at Brooklyn on Sunday. So we will talk to you sometime around those games, Stacy. A pleasure as always. Take care of yourself. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.